you may not enjoy reading things that you don't agree with, but if you don't do it, then you're not going to be informed about the other side and you're just going to be an arguer. I gave a talk about just my philosophy on life and the things that I do every day to try and combat my natural tendency to become a person that I don't want to become. And that philosophy kind of sprung from that conversation is that there's so much that you could become if you choose to become it, that you don't really have any time to waste. If you want something big in your life, then start doing it and you should enjoy it. You will enjoy it. If you want to become it and you're making headway, then you will enjoy it. And if you don't have anything, then what is it that you're responsible for? And dig into that and see how good you could become at that. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mays. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where the future is so bright, I've got to wear shades. Great song from Huey Lewis, who turned 72 today. So happy birthday to bluesy Huey Lewis. And you know, today's guest has a lot to say about creating the future. So I will be your time travel guide today, Jeff Maines. In last week's episode, we had a great conversation with April Lamont, founder and CEO of Alison. We talked about solving non-obvious problems, creating community around the SaaS offering, standing out in a crowded marketplace, and one key thing every founder should have when they start out. Brilliant interview with another outstanding SaaS founder and such a joy to talk with. If you missed it, you have to go back and check it out. Well, our guest this week is Dan Prince, CEO of Illumisoft. Dan has been in the tech world long enough. He probably listened to Huey Lewis in high school, just like I did. He founded his first tech company in 1993 and hasn't slowed down a bit since. Dan is a futurist that believes with technology, we can significantly increase our average lifespan. Sounds pretty cool. Dan values simplicity over perfection, people over processes, and communication over documentation. He is creating the future at Lumisoft bringing relationship-oriented solutions that make healthcare and healthcare research better. Today's episode is sponsored by my book, Small Fish Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. So why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning-fast results. Get your copy today at smallfishbigpond.com. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus content. And welcome back to SASFUEL. My guest today is Dan Prince. Dan, welcome to SASFUEL. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, let's start out... Tell me a little bit about your background and the company that you've built specifically around uh, healthcare. Well, the company is Illumisoft. I have no idea why I named it that, but the domain was open. So that worked out. We were working. Hey, that's as good a reason as any. Sometimes it is. Uh, You need a unique domain. That's right. If I could go back and rename it, you know, 10 years, 
I would probably name it something like Kansas City Software Company. <laughs> well, that works. Sure. But Illumisoft is way cooler, though. Well, Google doesn't understand it when you're transcribing. So that's really hard to get it to understand. And I've tried vigorously to teach it how to say Illumisoft. It never gets it even close. So, Well, I'll make a call after this. We'll talk to the people at Google and, and get you added to the dictionary. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Need a wiki page. There I, you I, go. Yeah. I started out just, actually, I started my life in construction of all things. I went to school for about a semester at Cal State Fullerton and realized I didn't know why I was there. Took a 10-year hiatus and then found a 286 IBM computer at a shop, paid 50 bucks for it, and went home and got addicted to programming. So went to school, got my education, and then uh, took a job at Cerner here in Kansas City late in 97. And I loved that experience of uh, creating things with your hands. And I soon realized that the problem with that process was that it was really hard to translate from a request that somebody was making and the reason they were making the request or the result that they were expecting into the actual solution. And so I got really good over my career at being able to talk business and also talking development and translating and getting work done, creating projects that were actually successful and fulfilled the needs rather than just spending the budget. That's a really, really good skill. I mean, having the, the communications and just the, the business acumen to, to have those conversations, not just go build what somebody asked for. Yeah, well, I wouldn't consider myself having a business acumen, at least at that time. Over the last 10 years trying to build a Lumisoft, I would say I've at least learned to understand what it is. <laughs> Makes sense. Getting a little bit closer, but uh, during that time, it was just, I'm trying to be successful. I want the project to be successful. And I found that a lot of the people that were responsible to get me the information that I needed in order to be successful uh, didn't have the ability to articulate what they wanted. And so I got real good at helping them and asking a lot of stupid questions that I thought I knew the answer to. And I would consistently ask those types of questions because once you get the answer that you weren't expecting, then you, you know which way to go next, right? And until you get that, you only think you know what you're doing. And I failed at enough projects through that beginning stages of my career, thinking I knew what I was building when I really didn't, that I found out the most important part was really that communication and understanding not only what they were asking for, but why they were asking for it. That's a really important thing. And just the, the this recognition that uh, you know they wanted something different or their ideas were different than your ideas. They saw the world differently than you see them. And I think that's important as we're building software overall, really understand, get deep inside the mind of our ideal clients and understand what it is that they, they're really trying to accomplish. Right. You know, I didn't really realize the, uh, the parallel with today's world and maybe not so prevalent in 2022, but uh, three years ago, four years ago, there was a big divide in our country and a lot of people arguing very easily. And there's been some movement in the intellectual area that talks about how do you have an argument with people? And Jordan Peterson said, which I tend to agree heavily with, until you can articulate back to somebody exactly what they're they're mad about or what they're saying to you in your own words, in a way that they will accept it and say, yes, that's what I said. Don't argue with them. 
And if you do argue like that, that is understand what they're saying so well that you can articulate it back to them, then you won't really have an argument. You'll be able to respond to that in an intelligent way. And most of the time people just want to be heard, like you said. So, and it's the way to do business. I found a lot of success in communicating with my clients by listening really carefully and asking questions. Like I said, even if I think I know the answer, because it helps them build that vision in their mind as well. So it's a great skill to have. And I'm hoping I trust that future generations are getting better and better at this. That's definitely something that we need, especially in in society today, to be able to to listen to other people's viewpoints and really look at the, the merits, not just dismiss them or, you know, say that that's a dumb idea, but you know, what makes sense about that? What is good about that? And a lot of times we're trying to accomplish the same thing, but going at it different ways. So really understanding, you know, what it is that, that we're trying to do and finding that that common ground, but really understanding what it is, particularly in this type of environment, what it is that that client is, is wanting to accomplish. Absolutely true. Do you feel like society is getting better at that as a whole? Like there's a general movement in that direction or do you feel like it's definitely necessary, but not something that uh, has really caught on yet? Well, I think it's absolutely necessary, but I think we're moving a lot further away from that as it becomes a lot easier just to bash opinions on social media, not have face-to-face conversations. I think that's somewhat of a lost art is actually having real dialogue, having uh, you know debates. What are the, the merits of, of the actual issue and having conversations and, and working through those instead of you know just dumping on somebody else's idea? I, I 100% agree. And I guess it depends on your perspective. I'm not on a lot of the modern social media. The You're probably better for it. I think so. But I am on TikTok. Okay. And I will spend through TikTok listening. Apparently the page or the feed that I get is very intellectual. And there's people having these kinds of intellectual debates, sometimes a little more angry than I would prefer. But most of the time, just like, okay, I heard you and this is what you said. And here's my response and, and back and forth. So I don't know, my feeling is, and it's probably because that's where I'm looking. I'm looking for those intellectual debates. My feeling is that the world is becoming better at it. Well, that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, it would be. I, I guess if you're looking at Twitter, it's not going in that direction. Right, right. I guess it depends on where you're looking. I can't spend too much time on TikTok because I go on there and then uh, next thing I know, two hours has passed because I just keep scrolling. And you can't just exit. You got to exit twice because if you, if you try and, and leave, then they just show you something else. I've gotten pretty good at giving myself like two or three minutes. I will scroll <laughs> four or five videos and then done. I got to get back to work. Exactly. Exactly. We got things to do. But yeah, it will definitely suck you in and waste your whole evening. <laughs> Without a doubt. And that's actually one of the core values of uh, Alumasoft is there's not a good way to waste your time, right? Absolutely. There's always something you can be doing either to make yourself or your work better. I'm not sure where you got that from. Did we talk about that last time? No, it's actually, it's on your website. Right. Well, that is true then. Absolutely. (laughs) It's on the website. It must be true. Well, so at one time I gave a talk to my team about my own philosophy on life, right? And, you know, being an older gentleman, I'm 20 years older than the oldest person I have working for me, I believe. I've learned some things and I've learned how, you know, like anything, I've learned how not to be probably more than I've learned how to be. And some of the things that I've learned how not to be include don't let your, you know, your gluttony get out of hand, right? You may enjoy eating, but keep it in check. You may not enjoy working out, but you got to because it's part of being a human, right? You may not enjoy reading 
things that you don't agree with. But if you don't do it, then you're not going to be informed about the other side and you're just going to be an arguer. I gave a talk about just my philosophy on life and the things that I do every day to try and combat my natural tendency to become a person that I don't want to become. And that philosophy kind of sprung from that conversation is that there's so much that you could become if you choose to become it that you don't really have any time to waste. If you want something big in your life, then start doing it and you should enjoy it. You will enjoy it. If you want to become it and you're making headway, then you will enjoy it. And if you don't have anything, then what is it that you're responsible for and dig into that and see how good you could become at that. And it was through that talk that really we developed our, our hiring concept. How do we talk to people and how do we look for people? And what I found to be consistent is the people that perform the best, not only within Loomsoft, but our clients and the people that we work with are those people that are looking for internally to see how great they can become. What can they accomplish with a given task or a project and that kind of thing? Just the opposite of what I was seeing a number five years ago. Uh, I was hiring much younger people, but a number of them came to the table trying to see what is it that I can get from you? Like, when do I get a raise? Like, is it every six months or every <laughs> Wrong question, right? Right. But if you hire people that are really looking to do their best, the rewards will come to them, but that's not the focus. They're looking to achieve what they can achieve and satisfy their own cravings, you know, to know what their potential is. And I've been really, really lucky to be able to find these people. And when I do find them, convince them to work for me. So in a tight talent market, how have you found great people? And, and how do you attract them to Illumisoft? Well, it's really who you know game right now. There's a lot of smart people out there that are moving around in their careers, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. So what I have found is I like to work with really smart people. Not every smart person is a PhD, but nearly every PhD is a smart person. So I found a couple PhDs and they referred some people and they referred some people. And now I have a whole team of PhDs working for me. I say working for me. That doesn't even sound right to say. They're not. They're working with, they're working together with me to build a Lumisoft and to find the resources that we need. I look internally and I say, who do we know that can do this? And they, oh, I know somebody and they'd be great for the job. And it's kind of gone like that. I wish finding clients was as easy as finding great resources uh, has become. I've just been lucky. That's good. So what are your challenges around finding clients or how are you solving those and bringing in additional lead flow and and growing the business? I think that's always a challenge. It is. From what I understand, it's everybody's challenge. Yes. That's the number one thing I hear from from our clients that we work with in the the SaaS space is lead generation and, you know, building clients. You know, building a business would be easy if it wasn't for employees and clients, right? (laughs) The fun part. Yeah. Right. I can honestly say that every client that I've ever had, I have lucked into, which what I mean by that is I didn't figure out who my market was and market to them and develop leads and then develop those leads into projects and then sell that particular project. I've never done that once. And I have tried for, you know, ever up until now. Every time I look, I'm let's try this then. That didn't work. I'm finding many, many ways that it doesn't work. But for me and my business, I have found, so I went from being a software development company to being a healthcare software development company. 
And by niching it into healthcare, I have found it easier to make a statement about, you know, what we can provide to you. For a while, we did some logistics and we did some warehousing and, you know, we can do all of that stuff. It's just, it's the same to me. But at one point in time, we did a nice sized research project in healthcare and diabetes. And we did a really good job and the client was really happy. And afterwards, he let us know that hundreds of thousands of children, if not million, would benefit from the research that was done by this project. And they wouldn't have been able to do it without us and our contribution to the technology and to the architecture that we came up with them. Man, talk about a warm feeling. Absolutely. That's the the big impact right there. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to do anything else unless I can do that again (laughs) or a project like that really drives up a lot of, I mean, just the passion behind that and wanting to, to change healthcare. I mean, that's part of your mission personally is to make healthcare better. Right. And that's part of the reason is just, I mean, I think there's a deficit absolutely in this country. We could, in the world, we could have better healthcare if we could utilize technology to get there. And artificial intelligence, machine learning is already moving in that direction. But there are limitations. And until we get to a pristine healthcare system, we're going to have to fight our way there through implementing technology in the areas that hurt the worst, right? And so what we've done is we've found a way to go in there and really find those areas and figure out custom solutions to, to make them less painful, less painful in terms of cost and also in terms of, well, everything's cost when it comes down to it. But, but that's what we've done. And so in terms of how do we market our company, we've slowly been bouncing off the walls in the hall, trying to get down to the end of it. But we, I think we finally found light at the end of the tunnel. That is, we're going to focus solely on the things that we've done in the past that we do good, because I know there's a market out there and there's a limitless amount of work to do. Probably not at the moment, but over time, like I said, there's so many broken things with our system, we're not going to fix it overnight. And so if we focus just on those things, and we know what hospitals do just those things, then we can better know who to go and address and talk to and build a relationship with. Absolutely. So we think we have the plan, the strategy now, and I feel better about this than I have about any of them. But to be honest, I felt better about the last one than I had about any of the previous as well. (laughs) Well, it's definitely iterative. And you learn things along the way, but I think you're, you're exactly right. And right about this in my book, if you want to get big, go small. And so when you think you're small enough, go smaller and go smaller and really focus in. And and that's where you see a lot of success because that message resonates. When you say, you know, we are the healthcare software provider that you need. We speak your language. We know, you know, what you do day to day. That is completely different than we do a whole bunch of stuff. And of course you could do all that, but you're making those smart choices to really focus in. Right. And I have found that to be absolutely true. The, uh, the more focused we become, the easier it is to tell your story because you know what story you're telling and you know who you're talking to and you know everything to be able to speak intelligently. Without a doubt. So, yeah, I'm finding that as well. My problem has been I don't want to let go of those other opportunities that are coming in. That's hard to do as an entrepreneur. You see, that you know, it's, it's a revenue opportunity. We could go do that. But then what's the opportunity cost? What are we missing out on? But it, it's hard to say no to some of those things. It is hard to, and you know, the hardest part about it is it's not so hard to say no to the monetary reward that you might get from a project, but it's hard to say no if you're going to 
upset somebody, right? And your reputation could be on the line. You don't know who's got a voice and whose ear they have. Right. Right. So I'm always looking to make sure that we're doing the right thing and that we're putting the right foot forward and we're putting the right representation out there to the public and making sure that we understand what the right thing means to our clients. But I had a discussion just yesterday with my executive team. We do have an opportunity, but it is not in healthcare. And I'm afraid that it would disrupt all of our activities at this moment, both our focus on healthcare in sales and in marketing, but also in terms of the skill sets that I'm formulating within our staff and our development team, right? I don't want them to have to think medical compliance and also think a warehouse housing and process improvement. I think it's a leap. And so we decided we got two choices. I can either build another division and find somebody to run it, which would mean that I'm distracted while I'm doing that, or we can give up on it and hopefully do it in a way that doesn't upset them or, you know, scorn them in some way, which that's easy enough to do. I'm, you just have an intelligent conversation about where you're going with the business, hopefully with the CEO and they understand you got to do what you got to do anyway. So that's where it can be helpful sometimes to, to have relationships with other people in the industry that focus in different areas and able to, to share projects or pass those on or refer somebody. And, and maybe you get something from that. Maybe you don't, maybe it's just reputational, you know, making those connections. I love to make connections between people just because it's fun, but uh, that can be financially rewarding as well. Yeah. Financially rewarding is good. I mean, as I told you, I'm not really an extrovert. I'm an introvert. High functioning introvert is what you said. Tell me more about that. A high functioning introvert. Yes. Well, I don't know. It's uh, probably a rude play on something I heard earlier in my life about some illness that somebody had, but they were high functioning at it. Right. I don't consider introvertedness an illness. I consider it a choice. Honestly. Sure. That makes sense. I think it's a choice somebody makes at a really young age and then continues to to make that choice throughout their life and then eventually claims, well, this is who I am. So I'm an introvert probably by choice or, you know, through some series of decisions. And I enjoy being an introvert. So but in my position I have to rise above that on occasion and actually put myself out there, learn the skills necessary to be able to walk in a room and, you know, have a little bit of charisma and carry on a conversation with other CEOs possibly, and most likely of bigger, more complex, bigger sized, higher revenue companies than my own. So that makes a lot of sense to me when you, you said that, because that's, that's you know, a lot of what I am as well. I mean, a lot of people think I'm an extrovert, but uh, it's some of it is just the, the role that I'm in. I have to be extroverted and do some of those things. And so I, I you kind of refer to it as I'm an introvert who does extroverted things because it's just part of what I have to do. But my natural tendency is, is certainly introvert. Yeah. And I've heard ways of managing that, right? You'd limit the time that you're out there, but I don't know if I was really doing my absolute best in the position that I'm tasked to be doing my best in, I would be an extrovert. I would be out there every day, hitting LinkedIn, reaching out to people, having lunches, having coffees, building that network. I've realized that I'm not that person. So I pay other people to be that. Right. That's, we have uh, you know, team members are able to, to delegate things that, that are not in our specialty. It's not our magic, but it is somebody else's. Right. You know, I think that it's a, an important way to look at how you utilize people within your company, right? If they're good at it, then it probably means they enjoy it. And if they enjoy it and they're good at it, they're going to do it really, really well. And they're going to work at it diligently. So 
I have found myself not doing all of the executive stuff really, really well because I don't enjoy it. But I found people that do. And so recently have been having conversations about how to change my role and become more of the lead architect and do the things that I really enjoy doing, which is figuring out what the client wants and why and architecting delightful solution for them. And I like that word delight. I like that. Yeah, you said delight and impact. Those are two words that you used uh, several times. Uh, it's a great word. Delight is such a nice thing to see in somebody's face. Yes. You know, that's another thing that warms my heart. So I guess I'm just, I'm selfish because I want to have a warm heart. When, <laughs> when I do something, I want to feel good about it. That's good. Well, it's, it's really smart just the way that you've approached that because so often you know, entrepreneurs will hold on to things and think, well, if I'm not doing it, then it's not being done right or that uh, I can do it better than anybody else or nobody else knows how to do it. And so when you let go of those things, that's where real freedom happens. When you're really focusing on your strengths and other people are focusing on their strengths, which are also your weaknesses. It's that really creating that, that teamwork environment where everybody is moving forward together. Right. If you get the right people on your team and you let them self-organize for the most part and you're willing to adjust, right? For me, it's willing to adjust. I've noticed it's taken a while for me to get my team to trust that I'm not, I don't know, the owner. I don't know what you would call it, but there's a certain stigma around being the CEO and the founder. Without a doubt. That people immediately don't share with you everything they think. Right. But I need that. I need that feedback and I'm willing to accept it and I don't care really what it is. You can tell me anything and I will listen to it and understand, you know, the intent and the motivation behind it and make changes or not make changes. But I need the feedback and I need my team to feel free to be able to speak their minds about anything and everything. And when you have all that put together, it's easy to step out of a role that you're not good at and let somebody else step into it because they're willing to. And most of the time, it seems to me anxious to do it. That's a great thing when you're able to do that and you need to see somebody take you know where you left off and just run with it and do just an incredible job. Things that, that you never would have thought of uh, because it really is their strengths. That's their gifting and they're just great at it. And, it, you know, it, it's also a really timely thing. I've noticed that when I bring a person on that during the first month of their employment, they've got to figure out all of our processes and, you know, where do we store things and how do we communicate and all of those things. And they're really the right person at that time to go through the process document and update it. Yes. Serves two purposes, right? They get to author and become process improvement experts within Illumisoft. But they also, I get the added benefit of having them very well trained by going through and knowing exactly where we left off, you know, a few months earlier or where, whenever we left off. And our processes are always evolving. We have meetings every week to talk about what can we do better but those process documents don't always get updated until we have a new person come in. <laughs> uh, that's all of us. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot, but it is, you're ahead of the game in that you have process documents. That's not just urban legend that, uh, you know, somebody is trying to pass it on and who knows what that's going to be five employees down the line. So the documentation is, is so important. Well, I can tell you what it's going to be five employees down the line. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. And it's going to be frustrating for both the existing employees and the new employees. And so I found it almost a deal breaker for some employees to not have documentation about how can I get up to speed because they want to and they don't have the time nor the patience. I guess maybe patience is a bad word, but they don't want to sit there at their new job where they're wanting 
uh, to do their best and to put their best foot forward to sit on their hands waiting for somebody to show them how to do it. Right. Right. So if you're going to hire really smart people, you better have the tools there for them to get to work quick because they want to. Yeah, that's really important. You want to leverage that motivation. Absolutely. And uh, having that documentation in place is in place is prerequisite, I guess. So what do you see as the future of technology and healthcare and you know what kind of world changing ideas are in front of you or in front of the industry? Oh, so world changing ideas in healthcare is definitely going to be I think we're going to move away from in-face visits. Those will be you know how over the last couple of decades we've moved from having going to the hospital, uh, spending the night and then having a surgery the next day and then spending a couple more nights, right? We have outpatient surgery now. And so you go in, you get a couple hours under anesthetic, you know, and then they kick you out before you're even awake. (laughs) Yes, yes. You're not quite lucid out the door. So I think we're going to continue in that direction and we're going to have conversations with our doctor just like we're having right here. The advancements that we're going to make is that companies like mine are going to attach an AI monitor to this feed. So that they could look at, say, you're the doctor and I'm a patient, that AI feed would be able to look at my face and tell me if I'm running a temperature, if I'm stressed, if I'm dehydrated, if my breathing is off, and all of those things that you know we can notice as people, but we don't notice we notice them because they're micro expressions or those types of things. AI will notice very quickly and very drastically and be able to tell us, tell the doctor. You know, I can imagine that you as the physician would have a heads up display that has my temperature and my heart rate and my stress level and whether or not I'm sweating and, you know, other things that I can't even fathom right now. But things that you can tell just by looking at a picture and determining and they will have that heads up display about me and they won't have to take your temperature. You won't have to go to the hospital or to the doctor and, you know, take a chance of breathing in somebody else's germs or give them the chance of breathing in yours. So it'll be much more hands-off, much more scheduled in-face types of things. And those will be secured down too. People are much more protective clothing and have far greater ability to protect themselves from inhaling anything, right? Because that's become a big thing since the pandemic. We understand that we don't want to breathe anything somebody else breathed out. I mean, not that we don't want to. I I think there's some weirdness in there. I don't want to become a germaphobe necessarily. Right. But at the same time, if you know that other people have germs, you don't want to breathe it in either. Or at least you want to have be cognizant of it. So we will make healthcare better by limiting those face-to-face, having more out surgery type of interaction. And we will have much more ability to read and understand video feeds and inputs. Insurance is going to change, obviously, because video camera and internet is necessary in order to take opportunity or, you know, be participant in the new world that's coming in healthcare. Insurance is going to get into it. And I've probably seen one too many sci-fi movies about how insurance are going to monitor us using remote patient type of technologies, wearables, you know, even cameras in your house. You could, I can see now much like insurance companies, there's companies out there that will allow you to put a sensor in your vehicle and give you insurance rate based on what their determination of your driving habits are, right? Whether you brake too fast, turn too fast, 
accelerating fast, all those things. There will be a camera that an insurance company will offer you that will sit right here in the corner of your house or wherever and monitor you. And all of those things that you will share with your doctor over your video feed will now be available to them. And your rate will fluctuate based on that. And maybe even other things like consuming alcohol or you know, looking at your food when you eat it and seeing that, you know, you have too much starch or too little protein or any of those things. I don't know. But all of that stuff will come to fruition because I think part of making healthcare better, when you look at what is healthcare, healthcare is trying to make a population better. So if you make healthcare better and they make the population better, then as an insurance company, what are you trying to do? You're trying to also make sure that the population isn't shooting you in the foot by, you know, killing themselves, smoking cigarettes or whatever other thing. Right. And then telling the doctor, no, I didn't do any of that. Right. That's like going to the dentist. Did you floss? Yeah. Exactly. No, you didn't. (laughs) I'm looking. You only flocked. (laughs) Exactly. That's so funny. So I think that's coming. I don't know how we're going to face it. Uh, There's obviously a lot of questions, a lot of ethical questions and, you know, personal information sharing that questions that we need to to think about but i think that's the way it's moving and i really honestly haven't thought enough about it to know what side i fall on but i'm willing to share some of my information if i know that it will help me be healthy right and live a longer life i think we do a lot of that today just uh, i like the idea of remote patient monitoring but even just uh you know wearables i mean you know watches and and things exactly so we both got them and, and uh, I like that just to be able to monitor for myself. I don't know what I think about sharing that, how broadly, but uh, it is definitely something that I want to pay attention to, happy to, to share with my doctor and those types of things. So it's, it's really interesting where technology is taking it. I mean, I'm not sure what kind of watch that is, but you're sharing that with the watchmaker too. That's true. Maybe whether I want to or not. Well, because you bought the watch, you obviously right. want, but there's not a whole lot of value if you don't share it with them. Well, they're getting value out of that by aggregating all of your data with other people's data and categorizing you and seeing what the limits of humanity give us in terms of data, whatever data it's collecting. But the problem with that, and I'm not saying that your watchmaker is doing it or that all watchmakers do it, but people, there's so many wearable makers out there that we have so much data collected on us now that one benign piece of data and another benign piece of data can be put together to be really harmful to you and be really invasive to your privacy. And we may not know it, right? Right. So those are also things that we're going to have to either regulate or find some way around and things that I think will help influence how we approach that problem, whether we regulate it or whether we find another way around it are probably going to be influenced by things like blockchain, NFTs, and things like that. If we can find another way to do it and it's feasible, then we won't have to regulate it. But if we can't, then we'll try to regulate it. But it's not easy to do. HIPAA has been in place since the late 90s. Right. I'm not sure that we have 100% compliance even now. Right. In fact, I'm sure we don't. Lots of people check boxes, but I think compliance and checking boxes is maybe a little bit different. Sure. Yeah. So, well, as as you look at, uh, you know, Leadership, I mean, continuing to grow. It's one of the things you talked about a little bit earlier. What are the things that you're learning right now? What are you reading? How are you keeping yourself sharp, you know, to really take on the the future in the new world? Well, I keep myself sharp by reading, but I don't really read all that much, to tell you the truth. I have a subscription to Audible and I find myself many times a month 
buying three more tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. I live on Audible. You have about 100 books a year, and that's probably 70% of them are audiobooks. I just can't get enough. It's efficient. I used to really dig it because there was no risk, right? You buy a book, and if you don't like it or it isn't something that you needed to hear or wanted to hear, you could always return it. Well, I did that enough that they won't let me return any more books. <laughs> and I, I understand. User. <laughs> I, that's it. They thought I was abusing. I didn't. I don't think they looked at how many I was buying. Right, right. Yeah, you buy a hundred and return four, and, and uh, suddenly you know you're taking advantage of the system. Yeah. But I don't care. I mean, I get such a benefit out of that service, and so many more people are recording. You know, authors are recording Audible books that I don't mind paying for it. It's a big platform. Is it's kind of frustrating to me when I find something that I want to read and it's not on Audible. Yes, that happens too way too often. Yeah, it's just not efficient for me to sit down and focus on a book. I can read technical stuff far better than I can read an author that's trying to get a point across. Interesting. Yeah, I've been reading reference manuals, like programming reference manuals and things so long I can go right through them. But if I listened, you know, through reading somebody's book, if I listen to an author speaking, I find myself thinking about what they actually meant rather than continuing to read. Of course, my mind continues to read while I'm thinking about something they said, and then I got to go back, start again. So I do that over and over and over. I read a book one time entitled or titled How to Read a Book. (laughs) Was it good? That it's, I'm just being lazy. It's like talking to somebody and not listening to what they have to say, but instead daydreaming while you're talking to them. And that's true. So I'm not paying attention to that book. I'm bored by it. (laughs) <laughs> but if I can hit, listen to it, then I will stay engaged. Yeah. Audio is definitely the way to go. I, you know, I, I do read some, probably 30% and 70% is audio and, uh, you know, try to get a lot faster at reading. I got a, a check that a book at the library on speed reading and uh, I didn't finish it. And so I renewed it again. And after I didn't read it the second time, I, just, I gave up on that. And audio is the way to go for me, for sure. I did that about 10 years ago. I think I found audio after in that same pursuit, like I got to get more information in. And, and what I found was, you know, as I get older, well, so my mother is getting older and she was not the kind of person in her earlier life or, you know, in her late adult life to stay up to speed, like to engage with other people or to socialize or to read a lot of books and understand what was going on in the world. And I recognized that in her, in my attempt to try and help her remain viable, I guess. I realized that I also had to develop a habit and now I can't get enough of it. If I can't read something, learn something, you know, every day or every week, I feel like I'm just being lazy. Like get out there and do it. Right. And almost addictive really. But I feel like it's also just a good part of your mental hygiene. Yes. Right. To find something new that you didn't know that day and use it to change your belief system. That's good. Uh, Favorite book? Or most influential? You know, most influential book of my adult life would be Napoleon Hill, Laws of Success. That is a great, great book. Because that really got, is what started me down the path of educating myself, right? It's like, I didn't realize that I could do more than I am doing, right? I thought I, I thought having four kids and making sure they had food on their plate every day was enough. It might've been at the time when, you know, all of my kids were toddlers, but After a while, when they start to grow up, you really need to keep pushing forward and setting goals and accomplishing things because it is those those pursuits 
you know, and making headway towards those pursuits that provide happiness. So I don't know, of all time, that's it. But that's a great one. Most recent book that I found I cannot stop thinking about is yes. The Codebreaker. The Codebreaker. Codebreaker is about. That's one I have not heard of. MRNA technology. And it really kind of tells the story of CRISPR and MRNA technology that kind of set the stage for us being able to create these vaccines in record amount of times, in record amount of time. And if you can get through the book, it's rather complicated and there's a, it's long-winded and it's complicated because the technology is complicated. But if you can get through that and listen to her analogies about what it means, it will really help you understand why we were able to accomplish what we were able to accomplish with the vaccines, but also understand why they don't do what people think they ought to do, which is keep you from getting sick. Most vaccines. Interesting. Yeah. There's several different types of vaccines, but this particular one, rather than prepare your body to create antibodies to fight a virus, it creates the memory within our DNA that we've already had this virus. So it creates the instructions so that when we see that again, any coronavirus or anything that's shaped similar, that we can go out there and start building those antibodies or whatever antibodies are needed immediately rather than, you know, wait till it overwhelms us, which I guess that's what Corona did is it overwhelmed us before our bodies recognized that we were being attacked. And, and it, you know, that's what sent people to hospitals. So interesting. Having the, uh, the vaccine will, doesn't stop you from getting sick. It just makes you a little bit more quick at getting your dukes up and fighting it. And even still being quick doesn't mean that it isn't going to beat you hard. You know, it depends on a lot of other things that they still don't know. Sure. Lots of factors. Yeah. Your propensity for it to affect you goes beyond just your ability to fight it. But having the ability to fight it is going to help everybody across the board. But it can't guarantee anything, unfortunately. So I could talk for days about the proponents of the virus, but I will leave that for another podcast. (laughs) Well, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs building a SaaS company? You know, what are you know the, your top tips for uh, for success? I would say customer service is is the best thing to focus on. So I've been along, I've been around long enough to see cycles in how we provide customer service. It used to be we had phone banks of people. And then we sent those phone banks overseas and people had to deal with people that didn't speak their language in the same tone of voice that they expected. And so we came, brought them back to the United States and customer service people would brag on they have American call centers. And then we got the web, right? So this was pre-web. Right. When the web came around um, and we still had call centers, people used to put their phone numbers on their web pages. They don't anymore. Right. But they used to, and they would send you to their call center. And then they started to have, when you click contact us, it would take you to a FAQ, FAQ that you could search through to try and find your own damn answers. And then it got to where you not quite great service there. Yeah. And so we moved away from customer service to the point that, I mean, a particular company that I will not name, but they're a rather large company that do financial software for small businesses and they charge a lot of money. And Now, they not only will not give you customer service, they are advertising their own new products on their own platform. So you not only pay for their service, but it's like an ad-supported platform now with their own ads. In my opinion, it's disgusting. And I have been preaching this for a decade now that these kinds of things are going to go away because as people become 
aware that all of the customer service is gone, their ability to get resolution on the things that are problematic with somebody's website or their solution or their service, as the ability to resolve those things go away, they're going to get tired of having this lack of customer service and everything will swing back the other way. And making customer service your focus is going to be key. Now, as a SaaS company, customer service means making sure your product UI, UX is easy for people to use and that it's easy for them to resolve their problems. So make it easy for them to create tickets, make it easy for them to communicate with you and get resolution on their problems, make it easy for them to cancel their service if they want to, right? Which I found a number of SaaS companies, I've gone out and tried to cancel my account and I realized, oh, they removed the ability to cancel it. You now have to contact them to cancel it. And I understand the mentality behind that. And I understand, you know, why they implemented it, but it's not something that is pleasurable to me as a client to have to call you so that you can make sure you upsell me one more time before you let me cancel. Right. Right. Those kinds of nuanced types of things that you, you really have to overcome. And if it's much like a new entrepreneur, one of the first things they learn is that you don't keep your idea a secret, Right. You've got to share that thing, but it's scary to them because they think, well, if I tell my people my idea, they're going to take my idea, right? Right. Well, the truth is if you remove people's ability to cancel your service, or if you take anything away from their ability to use your platform easily, or if you add on advertising, even if it's for your own products, you're taking advantage of these people and they're going to eventually recognize it and they're going to move away from you. So if you want to be the best in class, my advice to you is make sure that you're not worried about losing people, right? Rather than worrying about losing people, focus on keeping the people that you have happy, right? Because they are going to go out and talk to other people and they're going to say, I love this service. I love their platform. They're never, you know, abusive of my attention or my money. And you're going to get far more growth that way than by trying to, I guess, grasp what you have and not let go of it, right? Right. Way, let people use it and you will be rewarded. Like like Google, like Gmail, right? That was free for so long. And now look how many people right. Gmail and they use it for everything. And it makes sense. It's really taking care of your customers and they'll take care of you in the long term. So it's making it easy. Remember, you know, with our software kind of uh, in the earlier days, companies would ask, you know, do you have a manual? And the answer was no. If you need a manual, then that means we wrote terrible software. Yeah. And I have uh, had clients ask me to provide documentation. You know, they want me to bid on a project. In that project, part of their request is to have documentation that supports it. That's a red flag. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you need documentation, then it's uh, it's not well written. That's right. Yeah. Make it intuitive and embed the embed what to do right in it. Yeah, I do like what applications are doing nowadays with these frequent and short updates where when you log into a platform that you're used to, it will have something non-intrusive, you know, pop up that says, hey, here's a new feature. Right. Right. Would you like to look at these now or skip, right? Right. That's perfect, right? That's just the, the perfect level of notification that people need, in my opinion, right? Yeah, that's nice. And that's all right. But you need to know your audience, right? So if I'm not your audience, then maybe that opinion isn't the right one. But doing good UX research 
and user interface research, find out who your audience is and what they want and give it to them without, you know, overburdening them. Right on. Yeah. Well, Dan, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, how can people find out more about you and about Illumisoft online? Oh, they can hook up with us on LinkedIn. Go to uh, just do a search for Illumisoft on LinkedIn or Dan Prince. I'm pretty active on there. I can go to our website, Illumisoft.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter, but we're not big Twitterers. Although I think our sales, our new salesperson is going to start to be because we have found by talking with our clientele that a lot of doctors and researchers are Twitterverse people. So we're going to have to get out there and communicate with them. That's great. And we'll make sure and link all of those in the show notes. And uh, so Illumisoft, and uh, and again, we'll go teach Google what Illumisoft means so that uh, they transcribe your name right from now on, like, like we have that power. But All right. Well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Dan. All right. Bye. Well, thanks again to today's guest, Dan Prince, for coming on the show and sharing his insights and a glimpse into the future of health tech. You can learn more about Dan and Illumisoft at Illumisoft.com. And of course, check them out on all social media as well. If you want to improve the patient journey and create better outcomes, then Illumisoft is your go-to partner. As always, links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. I'll be sure to read these out on a future episode. You can also leave comments or feedback or just let me know you're out there by calling 903-SASFUEL. We'll tune in next week for a conversation with Josh Christofferson, CEO of IQ, who has an outstanding education and training SaaS platform. But what he's even more known for is creating one of the best cultures in the country, according to Entrepreneur Magazine. This episode is packed with value. So come back next week and hang out with Josh and I. I guarantee you'll learn a few things from this education and training leader. So until we meet again, enjoy the journey.